I really want it to be 80s newscaster music. This show is not allied with any sect, denomination, political entity, organization, or institution. Does not engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any cause. Neither do we. We are not affiliated with Al-Anon or any other 12-step program. The opinions expressed here are strictly of the person who gave them. Please take what you like and leave the rest. Hi, I'm Corey. Hi, Corey. Hi, I'm Claire. Hi, Claire. And this is and Crosstalk. This is Crosstalk. Oh, man, Claire. What's going Corey. on in your world? <laughs> I mean, I am in it. You're so I want to hear, I'll go first because I want you to go, go first, first today. Yeah. yeah. You always go first. Cause you know, you like to hog the limelight. Um, oh, so right. I would like to say that I am in like, I read an article in an outside publication that might be the name of a coast on the East, um, and a magazine with that, with that name. And, um, <clears throat> not that it matters cause we're not affiliated as you'll hear from our intro, but, um, it was about how the the pandemic is melting our brains specifically in this time period and how in the beginning it was like unfathomable and survival. And then the summer we kind of went out more or what have you, but the combination of winter, it being close to the end, but not over. It's just like everyone, my household is very COVID-y, right? Like we're just like melted. Like my brain is fried all day, every day. And I'm working more than I've worked in a long time. And I just end every day, just, a, just a puddle. Like I have, like, I don't want to, I'm like, can we just watch TV and not talk? And I am not available for relationships. I'm not available for Alan. And then I had my, I had my eighth birthday on Tuesday, my Alan on birthday or Wednesday. It's up for debate, but, um, no, cause you texted me. I know. And, and I think I, I said it was nine. You, so I would tell you happy birthday because yeah, because you don't remember. But um, anyway, the I uh, I had my birthday and um, see, what was I even going to say? Oh, I wanted to go to an Al-Anon meeting on my birthday and I couldn't do it. I was like, I can't do another Zoom. I've been on seven hours of nonstop Zoom or Google Meet calls. The best thing I can do for my recovery is turn off my computer yeah. and not go on a Zoom call. So it's been really challenging to stay in the program because I even don't want to call fellows. I'm just done talking at the end of the day. Um, so I'm hopeful that it'll shift soon, but I am in it. And, um, thank God for Al-Anon. Um, because otherwise I'd be insane or more insane, I should say. Uh, not, you know, you know how it is. Um, how are you? Tell me about you. (laughs) Make me feel better. I'll do my best. I don't know. I kind of had a day today. So, I mean, I did and I didn't. It's like, what is a fucking day anymore? I mean, you know, I'm fine and not fine. Like, you know, like, what is it? Frantic. I forget what that acronym is. But um, I bet our guest you know the one know. she knows. Everything, I know I was. But we're not going to ask I her yet. She doesn't. I bet she doesn't. <laughs> I was literally like looking at her, like, oh fuck. She knows, she knows, knows all the literature. Right we have a special guest today. I spent. Usually, I'm pretty much. I'm pretty good litter. The librarian of the, uh, <laughs> you know. But anyway, I'm just spent um, mentally, and I think that a lot of that is why I can't even blame it on 
quarantine anymore or the pandemic because, you know, I changed my job, Corey, because I yeah. was feeling the way you're feeling. I was fe- so I made a change. I was like, oh, I need to make a change. So I made a change. Lots of reasons I needed to make a change. But one of them was really that. And it was like came to a head for me. And but what I have been doing is spending <laughs> eight hours a day doing really hard physical labor right now that I love. I love and building a beautiful deck with my business partner and it's gorgeous. It's one of like four projects that we have going on right now. And it's just like, I'm like learning to be a business owner. I like have helped other people like start and launch their businesses, small businesses, like two different ones previously, but now I'm doing it. So it's just like, you know what? I'm not stressed, Corey. I'm just, I'm just a little tired. I'm just a little tired and that's okay. And I've been really loving with myself and I'm not stressed. And I did get into, sometimes my partner listens to this podcast. Who knows if she'll listen to this episode, but I did get into an argument with her like literally right before this. And (laughs) I felt like I was being attacked. Let's be honest. I (laughs) I sure will resolve it. We always do. But literally I'm like, are you kidding? Like I just got, I've got home. I like need to shower so I can like feel okay about myself and like I'm being attacked before I like jump <laughs> go to record my podcast that you know I was so, listen to the victim coming out listen to that mm. my golly gee all right well <sighs> I think that's enough you know, of that silly nonsense I let's love get some recovery both. going I love that we're both so I mean yeah <laughs> we're both in it we're both in it this week and so I always look forward to this podcast the most and lately because of this <laughs> podcast the most because well i have other podcasts ours, but... let's be honest and <laughs> i mean it's true but i mean hello. it's true um it's true yeah uh but second so because of covid we have been able i don't even live in la anymore and i get to go to my la meetings but also people who do not live in la that i would never have met probably yes. ever under any yes. other circumstances except for this wonderful good orderly direction that we're getting have been zooming in to our la meetings and one of them is I'm zooming in. Um, is, is this uh, is this wonderful fellow Catherine, who we have today, which is very exciting, and um, she just has amazing recovery, and and I think you know, just comes from a slightly different background than maybe we get to normally get experienced in LA, which is fantastic, and um, we're so excited to have her on the pod today. So I, without further ado, I'd love to welcome Catherine to the pod. Catherine, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Corey and Claire. This is just a gift to be able to be here with you guys. And um, it's funny, uh, Claire, when you said the acronym for fine, I was like, oh, yeah, frantic, insane, neurotic, and emotional. Or MC. <laughs> I, or, you know. I mean, or there's another F word, right? But but uh, I try to keep it PG-13. I remember my first sponsor, one of my living amends, because I used to have the biggest potty mouths. Um, you see, alcoholism is a family disease distorted me in such a way mm. I had become such an angry, manipulative, just self-righteous person that I would go in meetings and throw F-bombs everywhere, not even real, not for shock value, <laughs> but not even realizing how disgusting sure, sure. of a human being I had become as a result of the environment that mm. I grew up in. And I had no social awareness of, um, how I was showing up in life until I started to go to meetings. And, um, that's really where the gift began, but, uh, the gift of desperation, but I'm a retread in this program. I'm not, um, someone who has come in once and stayed where I've never had to come back. Um, part of the reason for that was I grew up in the violent family disease of alcoholism. I was abused by the non-alcoholic parent and, um, 
that my alcoholic parent was just wonderful, predictable, loving. Unfortunately, they were unattentive and unavailable, but my dad was just a beautiful, kind drunk. And after he passed out for the day, and it was an everyday deal, after he went to work, the war would come. My mother would turn into just a rageful, revengeful, just unpredictable maniac who, uh, you know, one of the ways that I could describe her as a human being is that the only way that that abuse ended is if you could outrun it, if she got tired of hitting you or if whatever she was hitting you with broke. And so very early on, I learned to run from people, pain and problems. And so what I didn't realize, that's a great skill set growing up in violence, but a terrible skill set professionally uh, and interpersonal relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, and so on and so forth. So very much that family fell apart. And, um, you know, we all scattered in different parts of the country as emotional cripples. Uh, one thing I will say, my dad did give an attempt to give up drinking when I was about 13 years old. He decided to, you know, give up the one thing that mother's screaming and yelling and causing just utter chaos in our home over. And you would think that would fix the problem, but it didn't fix the problem. And why? It's because the traditions we practice in an alcoholic family home were that I learned is I learned how to hate. I know how to hurt. I know how to judge. I know how to criticize and how to keep score and take people's inventory. I know how to use shame and guilt as means to manipulate people to change. And if all else fails, I'll beat you senseless. And I very much became a physical abuser, a verbal abuser. I mean, when I fight, I don't fight fair. I go straight for the kill. And it was that hurt person hurting other people. And yet I've got the blueprint of alcoholism and I don't even know that I'm sick. And so growing up in this family system, um, there's a lot of things that went down after that family fell apart. You know, I had a couple of going to the grave secrets and, um, which I wish I had more than 10 minutes to talk about today. Uh, and because I want to do, I do want to get to the topic, but I was on the process of, let's just say I pretty much broke every commandment that there ever was. And let's just say that I was on the process of outthinking, outperforming, and outmaneuvering anyone and anybody else. And what I set out to do, because I knew I had broken a whole, even though I wasn't raised in a church, we didn't have, we didn't have any religious ornamentation, no books of any kind, no symbols of any kind in our family home. Um, I knew I had broken a one commandment that is widely known that you should never break. And I knew I just felt deep down in my soul, I was just going to straight to hell. So my intention and my purpose in life was to try to cling and scratch and try to get any semblance of love and security in my life. So I set upon getting, you know, getting paperwork, putting letters behind my name to prove that I was somebody and that I was worthy of love, affection, and attention. And what ultimately I attracted was alcoholism in a very different type. I met my husband in college and he was a binge drinker. It didn't look like alcoholism. He could turn it on and turn it off. But however, that too became progressive. And so I remember my grandmother telling me, just because you moved to Texas, don't you dare. And that boy gives you a ring, don't you dare go. And I went anyway. I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana originally. And so I went and it wasn't, but that night I discovered I was already in trouble. It was we're going here, there, and there. And I tried to be patient and long suffering, but you take 
a woman out of her support system, whatever support I have left my friends, because my family had fallen apart. Um, no one was talking to anybody. Um, my mother, I told her if she, my mother, when she left, she told me and my sister to go find yourself another mother. I mean, she is just mean and ugly. My mom, even her last word, she tried to get you. And, uh, and I told her, if you leave here today, you're going to die an old, cold, lonely woman because I'm never going to care about you. I'm never going to see you. And I'm not going to just think one second about you. And uh, my dad told me to shut up. And that was the last time I'd ever seen her ever wanted to talk to her ever again. And so I was set upon creating my own life far apart from any. My, my husband didn't even know this family system I grew up in because alcoholism is a family disease thrives on three things, denial, keeping secrets and isolation. And so I was keeping secrets so that I could be good enough. You know, some of the language my mother used to use is you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're not thin enough. You're going to have to work twice as hard to be half as good. You're not worth the powder to blow you to hell. I wish you were never born and you are a worthless human being. And that's what I heard on a daily basis. And yet that self-hatred, that self-sabotage, she may have told it to me, I don't know, a couple hundred times, but I've said it to myself a million times. And so that DNA component, it's like the worst prayer you can begin your day with. And it's the worst freaking uh, lullaby at nighttime. And that was stuck into my head. But yet I was trying to be, to overcompensate with perfectionism and performance and grades and, um, um, accolades, whatever I could go for to be just good enough, um, to be, to be okay. So I met, I met my husband. He didn't hear any, he didn't know anything about what happened in my family home. We got married and that's the dance with alcoholism. I look back on my life. My first friend in the city of Dallas was a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know that she broke her anonymity and she asked me to go to Al-Anon. I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't get to work the steps. Why? Because of the fear of rejection, because I'd been rejected all my life from my mother and I was angry, isolated and alone. But I went to meetings. I liked what I heard, but I didn't get a sponsor. So I fell out of the program, but it didn't take me long to have that gift of desperation to come into the program. And what it was is my husband got a severe brain injury as a result of his drinking. He was physically assaulted in a bar. I got the phone call that no one ever wants to get. I had a one and a half year old at home. And I was absolutely desperate. I did the one thing I knew to do was call a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous because I had no friends in Al-Anon. I'd already fallen out at that point. This is a couple of years later. And uh, went to the hospital. Fortunately, he survived. They had to perform a craniotomy, take his skull off to drain the bleeding. He had a severe brain bleed. And that was my journey of in a matter of three months, trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And then he drank again. As soon as he uh, got his jaw and wired shut, he drank again and he stopped taking his seizure medications. And right there, when I saw him, he came home, I saw him and I said, have you been drinking? To which he said, no. And I had the three C's. You didn't cause it. You can't control it. You can't cure it, but I can contribute to it. And how was I doing that? One, I was a compassionate enabler. But two, I was rowing his boat so hard, mine was sinking. I was always obsessively doing the unnecessary for the ungrateful. And so I didn't realize that that pain of putting my life on hold for the benefit of someone else was causing an anger and depression within me. I went back to Al-Anon and I had the desperation of a drowning man. I asked the first five people to be my sponsor and they went, 
Oh no, because I was crying historical tears that I was thawing out in the program, all of the historical pain. And finally I asked the woman to be my sponsor and she was my sponsor for 10 years. She just died in May. I've been a grateful member since October 1st, 2005. And I've been under new sponsorship, but she said two things to me, which caught me like a knife. And she said, Catherine, you cannot access the joy unless you're willing to walk through the pain because pain is the only knife sharp enough to cut through denial. If you've got one more plan, one more thing to figure out, God cannot work in your life unless you're in surrender and powerlessness. And so she told me to start you know, doing things I didn't want to do. She asked me to pray the first three steps out loud, followed by the third step prayer. And I said, why? That's my timer. I said, why? And I'll just wrap this up. And she said, because you stand to walk, you sit to eat, you lay down to sleep and you kneel to pray. And I was, I wanted to tell her lady, why on earth is, would that help me whatsoever? And she told me that I, that I act my way into right thinking instead of think my way into right acting. And my problem was, is that I had a negative form of meditation that on a daily basis, I was worshiping the God of fear and my worst case scenarios and anxiety and worry had become my prayer and meditation practices. And so that was one way to arrest the development of that. And I'll just say this, anxiety is like putting a down payment on a problem you're never going to have. And worry is like repeatedly experiencing failure in advance. And little did I know, because of the tools and the steps in this program, that she gave me some simple skills so that I can have a sane, serene, and satisfying spiritual life. And it took almost losing my spouse and losing my own life because I was in a cycle of suicide and depression before I was willing to do something different. And I'm so grateful because this woman loved me into life. So, um, gosh, I just thought I'd just go somewhere else with that, but I just never seem to know where I'm going to go with that. I sure do hope that I have spoken enough on the gift of desperation because what I have found as a sponsor, that the people who make it through the steps are the ones that are in such a state of pain where every single choice, including my own, failed. And it was when I felt like an absolute failure and failure stands for first attempt in learning that's when I was allowed, I, I allowed someone into, into my life to interfere and give me the help and support I needed. So thanks for letting me share you guys. Wow, Catherine, that was fantastic. Um, so wonderful. Sorry, Corey. <laughs> I, no, I, just, I mean, also, what abundance, what abundance of Oh, just every, like, I want to go back and re-listen to it right now. I'm like, I couldn't take enough notes. I couldn't, uh, <laughs> just so rich. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I always felt it. like that when you share actually. And I, we talked last week and I, you told me the story about the, the kneeling to pray and I had got, you know, I'm struggling with Al-Anon right now myself because of zoom and, and, you know, and because I think what's interesting is because I'm not desperate anymore. I'm not desperate enough. Right. So mm-hmm. it's easy to let it kind of slip and slip and slip. And then I know, I know to do contrary action before it gets too bad, but there's the desperation for my journey was that this was it. Like this was my whole life for a while. But I remember you saying that to me last week and I started kneeling again and praying the first three steps in the last couple of weeks. Cause I used to kneel every morning and just say like, um, you know, please, uh, show me how I can be of service. <clears throat> but now I've sort of added this first three step element because of you. And I've always, 
appreciated how close you stick to sort of the literature and the slogans for that reason, because it's very clear. Um, so I really, really liked that about, about your story. Um, it's interesting because I thought, you know, when I, when I called you, I thought you would be more religious, like your background was religious and we were kind of, you know, talking about this and I'm from Texas, I'm from Houston and, and you, you said you're from Dallas. And so it's interesting thinking about the fact that there's something, um, that feels so much like God was such a part of your life the whole time. I mean, that's how much you've embraced this program and it's really admirable. I'm wondering like maybe was the desperation, was there a struggle there? And did the desperation become the conduit to getting to God? What was that like for you? The desperation of every single choice I've ever made absolutely failed. And it's that saying from our literature, my best thinking got me into Al-Anon. And Mm. if I had a better idea, I would have tried it because I was so walled off. Here's the thing. The reason why I was so walled off is because I couldn't stand the thought of being broken again, of being Mm. beaten down and having someone, you know, I've just spent my life being bulletproof and I just couldn't stand the thought of being cracked open because I know what that feels like. And I couldn't stand to lose it again. And I had spent all of my adult life up to this point, trying to keep it together. And I had a game face on, there's a word for it. It's called exodentesiast, which is a person who hides tremendous pain behind the mask that they wear. And I was losing the, my greatest gift, my talent and ability. Like, even if, I mean, the craziest things could happen to me and I can put my game face on, I can go to work, I could go to school and I act as if nothing ever happened, that I can detach and disassociate and disconnect from any event in my life. But now because of this program, it's the first program when I walked into a room, I sensed, I felt people's words. I felt the genuine, I felt the intimacy, the vulnerability and the love, the things that I craved. And I knew that I, if I wanted what they had, I had to begin to do what they did. And, you know, even Mm -hmm. today I hit my knees every single day. And it wasn't until I exhausted every personal, mental, emotional, and spiritual resource bankrupt on all those levels that I was willing to do something (laughs) different because I was sad, sick, That's what I like about it. And stressed, you know? Yeah. It wasn't like it came easy to start praying and kneeling. And I think, you know, maybe it comes easier for some people, but I love what you always say about, you know, look, (laughs) I tried everything else. I mean, what else am I going to do? And I think a lot of us get there in Mm -hmm. program where you're like, okay, I'll follow these rules. I'll read this pamphlet and check this list. I mean, who, who does that except somebody who really has tried a lot of other more quote unquote, culturally normative options, uh, before. So I love that. Yeah. Another like phrase that's not a program specific, but, um, that always, that's been coming to mind. And when this topic came up to be a topic of discussion for this episode, it, it came to mind, which is moving at the speed of pain or changing at the speed of pain. And it's actually my partner that brought, like introduced me to that phrase. And I really relate, Corey, to to what you're saying about like being in this place of uh, n- not being desperate, right? I'm like, I'm not like I am don't I am not in pain every day. I'm not. I've like I truly have come to a place with 
I mean, like if you're new, <laughs> I didn't know this was going to happen. If you're new, keep coming back. It works if you work it and you're worth it. You're really worth it. Um, I understand that I'm worth it today, which is like, holy fucking shit. Cause I heard a lot of those same things too, Catherine, you know, I, I heard a lot of those same things too, that you shared and growing up, I also heard a lot of really awesome supportive stuff too. Um, but that can sometimes even be just as confusing, you know, um, anyways, getting back to it, to moving at the speed of pain, you know, it's like, I found a new Wednesday night meeting that I'm like so stoked about that I went to last night. Um, and it's because I, I was like, you know what? I need to go to a week one. My minimum has got to be for me one meeting a week. I have three sponsees. I meet with them every, they all get in every other week. Now it used to be every week. If they're doing, if they're reading step work, then it is every week. And I have a sponsor that I meet with every week and I make outreach calls every day and I text with fellows every day. So I say that all and I read literature every day and I have stuff that I read in the morning that's on the inside of my cabinet, the do's and don'ts and checklist for maturity. So my point of saying that is like, I still need a meeting a fucking week. Like I still need a meeting a week, you know? Um, and because I have such a really, I would say like, rich and healthy and full, like to me, Al-Anon is my spiritual practice. Um, bringing God into it, you know, it's a spiritual, I have a spiritual malady. That spiritual malady is the malady of alcoholism, the family disease of alcoholism. And so my spiritual practice is what I use, what I practice in order to bring me to sanity, you know, to, to, to bring me closer to my higher power. And then therefore, um, you know, let my higher power bring me to sanity. Um, so I don't move at the speed of pain anymore, which is wild. I made a decision to turn my will and my life over and like I do it over and over again, but also I, I get to make all kinds of decisions now. I love step three and that it says made a decision because I get to go, oh, I can make a decision to move at the speed of intrigue. I can make a decision to move at the speed of something that I want or need, um, or, or move at the speed of excitement. Like it doesn't have to be the speed of pain anymore. That being said, I wasn't going to meetings every week, which is so weird for me because my whole, six years in program, I always, you know, I used to go to three meetings a week. So it was really interesting. And guess what? I got irritable and unreasonable without knowing it. I mean, I know it now, which is even more of a bummer. Um, cause I can't like plead ignorance, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Moving at the speed of pain or the gift, what a gift, a gift of desperation to allow us to come to these rooms. Like I wouldn't, I don't know if I would even change, like, I don't have any urge or request to change it, you know, anymore. There was a well, time love, where I would have, but. I love that you said pain is the only knife sharp enough to cut through mm. um, yes. desperation. Is that what, is that the quote? Uh, it's her denial denial and i think that's that's really interesting um you know i think people don't talk a lot about this being a deadly disease the way people think about Mm. um the other program being a deadly disease and i'm curious you know i I think claire and i have talked openly about suicidality you mentioned it in your lead share and i'm curious if we could talk for a minute about that desperation and what what that sort of felt like for you and what that taught you about life and about the program being in a place where you actually were 
questioning something as as profound as existence and existing. Absolutely. You know, there were two times in my life in which the uh, the idea of suicide came up so strongly that it was everyday waking thought. And that was one when the family was falling apart. And basically, my father said, don't let the door hit you on the butt on the way out. He joined the enemy camp and he said, you're going to have to find a way to put yourself through school. You're going to have to find a way to uh, get an apartment to pay your bills, just whatever. And suddenly their family system, even though it's messed up, nobody cared. It was every man for himself. And so... At that moment, I made a decision to be defiantly autonomous, that I was never going to need anybody, not a man, uh, not a family, not God. I was on my own. I I couldn't fall back on anyone. And I made that decision. And that's why I didn't need God. And when you spend your life playing God from when you're a teenager, all the way trying to control things, then of course, this is a spiritual tendency that's really hard to relax and let go of. Um, and I wasn't a fan about, um, turning my will in my life over to anything. Uh, God, you know, what I was doing, I was mouthing words to a higher power. I didn't believe or have faith or trust in, you know, if I would, if she would have told me to wave snakes mm-hmm. in the air, I would have waved snakes in the air. But let me say this <laughs> as part of the DNA of alcoholism, when I wake up every morning, I'm nuts. And, and the reason why I say that there's a reason why, as soon as I get out of bed, I roll on my knees and it's because the first prayer I say is God get into my head before I do because of the DNA of alcoholism and that language that it was imprinted on this brain. My natural prayer meditation, when I first wake up is self-hatred, self-sabotage, self-pity, self-judgment, and self-criticism. It's that noise that I begin to destroy myself. And that's my ism. I sicken myself. I sabotage myself. But in Al-Anon, you guys told me to switch the topic, self-love, self-affirmation, self-forgiveness, self-acceptance. You gave me skills and tools to use. And so if I want to give God a shot at changing the, the narrative that's in my brain, then for me, it begins with that one quick prayer, get into my head before I do, roll over on my knees, pray the first three steps. The only reason why I still do it, nothing gets in the way of those prayers, by the way, absolutely nothing. It's because it has changed me and it has arrested the development of the noise getting louder. And what I do is I sit down, I have my coffee and I sit in silence and I wait patiently on my higher power. I don't even want to say words. I don't even want to talk to anyone before I have that experience because God relaxes Mm. those thoughts of how I want to abuse myself. And that physical abuse ended years ago. That emotional abuse ended years ago. But it's always when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, that narrative comes in. And so that's where the program helps to match calamity with serenity. And it's a spiritual practice of unlearning through the practice of relearning new habits, traditions that help build me up and give me grace instead of guilt and punishing myself. And that's what I have found for me as a result of one of the impacts of the family disease of alcoholism. If I let this mind go unattended without literature, meetings, talking to my sponsor, working my steps, you know, reading, you know, whatever it is, then that is my autopilot. And it's a deadly autopilot that gets me to a place of depression and where suicide seems like a really good idea because I get to the place of spiritual Mm -hmm. apathy and despondency, which means I have no faith, hope, or trust in the future and forget it. And so I 
can get there if I, you know, they have a saying in Al-Anon, Al-Anon is a daily program of action. The only way you can coast is downhill. And that's from one of our readings, Encourage to Change on Complacency. And where I get complacent in my program is where my, the disease of alcoholism is weightlifting in my brain. And when this biography in my head gets out of control, I pass it on to my biology, my children. And I pass on that hurt to my kids. And I'm very clear that the family disease of alcoholism not necessarily is passed on through an alcoholic gene. It's passed on the punishment and the emotional mm-hmm. and physical abuse from people who are wounded like me, who aren't responsible for their spiritual condition. So I hope that that helps in a small way. Yeah, I mean... Um... I mean, suicide or the idea of ending yourself is just a, it's just the ultimate self-rejection, right? I mean, you've rejected yourself, others rejected you, and then you, you finish mm-hmm. the job. There's no, to me, there's nothing more rejective than that. Um, I know Claire, you know, you know, you and I have talked about it. I don't have any questions about that kind of desperation and, and what Catherine was talking about. Yeah. I mean, I also grew up in a family that, that the, Multiple people in my family attempted and or almost attempted suicide. So it was a normal thing in a way. It was almost normalized. It was like this is – and I grew up with a parent that would often say when things went wrong, quote unquote, or, you know, not – it went differently than what people were willing it to be, were in their will for it to be, right? Um because I don't believe anything ever goes wrong anymore. Like, how could it? It's still all divine <laughs> for me, for me. Um, but then, you know, there was right and wrong and things could go wrong. And when they did, this one parent would often, so many times so that I repeated it in my adulthood, um, would just say, you know, I'll just kill myself. Why don't I just kill myself? It'll just be, you know, oh, gosh, it'll just be so much easier when I'm dead. Uh, so it was it what desperation, right? That if the answer to this problem is that I shouldn't be here anymore, I should just be gone. And that was just so, it was an option. Like that was like, (laughs) which is ironic because I didn't think I I had a lot of choice as a child (laughs) (laughs) or even like as an adolescent or as a teen and then as an adult or in my early adulthood i didn't think i had you know i had no idea what choices were but that was an option (laughs) yeah i had a partner one time um i like said it we were like going on a hike and you know who knows what happened when i got out of the car but like i was this was pre-program they actually brought me into program or it was them that uh was the catalyst for me to join but um anyways whatever happened i was like i'm just gonna kill myself and she just stopped and was like I need you to stop saying that. Like, I need that to not be said anymore in our relationship. And like, this is how painful it is when you say that. And it's just not an option. Like, if it is like, then like, be honest about that. Are you like, do you think about it? Do you need, you know, and I was like, oh, and it really hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, like, it's not just so damaging and painful to me, but it's also damaging and painful to those around me that that would be like, how terrifying to think that you know, the person that you love and want to spend time with and want to be with, you know, might just end their life because it was too much. Um, yeah, it's just, whew. 
I do have the thought though sometimes still in a very different way than I used to have it. It'll pop up. I'll be like, it's literally like, you know, just that old thought that's like, well, wouldn't it be easier if you were? <laughs> and I'm like, actually, I mean, yeah, but like, I like it. I like being here. Thanks. I'm like, first thought, I hear you and you can go. And I'll take the second thought, like, you know, how do I get back with God? Um, but we've talked a lot about yeah. the idea that, you know, once you have that thought, you can't unthink it in a weird way. And sure. And, sure. and you, you get to choose something else. And then also it made me feel, and I know we've talked about it, Claire, and I'm curious what you think, Catherine, feel mm-hmm. less attached that it was like so white knuckly that it was so important that I was so important. I should be alive forever. Like I'm, it's just like, yeah, ultimately I'm a part of a system. I'm one with God. It's not that it's, it's not, not a big deal, but I don't know how to phrase this. It's not the end of the world. If I die, like life will go on. And it's not that sort of, I had this desperate kind of like hypochondria and panic about my own well-being before program, like where I would want to fly the plane and be terrified or whatever. And then I was like, well, the plane goes down. I mean, in a way it was liberating, but the plane goes down, it's meant to go down. And like, that's what's supposed to happen. So I'm going to relax and watch this movie. It just, it was weirdly freeing to have that thought and not be able to unthink it. I don't know how that manifested in your life, Catherine, or if it, uh, how you feel about that thought or the fact that thought existed at some time in your life. Well, I, I actually am so grateful for it because now I have empathy and compassion for people who are actively being attacked by the deadly Mm. form of our disease. And that for me, I came into the program. I had, look, I had everything to be happy about my life. I had a beautiful one and a half year old. Of course it was not, it was just, bedlam for several years with my husband and his brain injury. And then he was a drunk driver and he would, ugh, every time he'd go out drink, I mean, he'd have to drive his car, you know, and, and you, nothing could stop mm-hmm. him. And so, you know, for mm-hmm. me, my character defects responding to him, I hope you go out and I hope you kill yourself and a family of five. I hope you get locked up forever. Like the anger and the acid. And what happens is, is when you live a life that's just so violent on the outside. Like you can't swallow that poison pill without getting, you know, poisoned yourself, you know, expect other people to die. And so what happened is all that anger, that aggression had turned inward into depression. And so my thought was I could kill myself today because it would be a much more respectable thing for my family to go to my funeral rather than to hear that I was locked up at Green Oaks, which is the nut house. And so I preferred <laughs> death over going to an insane, you know, a, a place where I can get medicated or whatever. And so I don't know where I got that from, but I do when working with sponsees, when people are in that dark night of the soul, first I say, go see professional help. I'm an Al-Anon sponsor. Look, Mm -hmm. it says all over Mm -hmm. our literature, you need to go see a doctor. I'm not going to tell you whether or not to take medication or not, but this is very serious. And I need you to take the next indicated action instead of let me ask my sponsor, Mm -hmm. whether whatever, because I don't want to be responsible for someone else's physical and mental well-being. That's why we have physicians to take care of that. But for me, it was the most obsessive, attractive idea because it was the only, so I only had two sides of hope, uh, homicide and suicide. I wanted to kill him or kill myself before I came into the program. And now Mm -hmm. I have more hope in that because Mm -hmm. 
I get fed a daily diet of experience, strength and hope and love and affirmation and affection. And I basically get love from sources of overflow instead of plugging into inefficient power sources, which are alcoholics. And Mm -hmm. if you try to plug into someone who has nothing to give other than the bottle, then no wonder was I completely bankrupt because I was turning to power sources that failed me. And it wasn't until working with the sponsor, taking a look. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the principles behind the step, but the principle behind step one is honesty and taking a look at those thoughts, taking Mm -hmm. a look at everything that made my life unmanageable, taking a look at everything that I had no power over in a powerlessness list helped cut through that denial. And remember the three things, denial, keeping secrets and isolation, working the steps with a sponsor, Mm -hmm. intimacy replaces isolation. So I was no longer doing this school called planet earth alone. And one thing I realized that what is not transformed through the process of the steps will be transmitted. So unless I'm willing to filter myself for me through the steps, then I was still going to continue on the same spiritual cycle of doom, death, and destruction. That was my prayer and meditation. And there was nothing that would stop that unless I was willing to surrender. And that really is the key. I remember my sponsor saying, true surrender is joyous acceptance of God's will. will." I'm like, what? Joyous acceptance of God's Mm -hmm. will? Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you for sharing that with me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was the most just, oh my gosh. That's so true, though. I was just the most belligerent. Such a good reminder, though. I remember the first... Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was going to say, I mean, it's such a good reminder. I remember the fir- one of the first friends I made in program in the Saturday meeting in LA, I think it was like two or three years into it. And he actually asked me to lead the meeting. The first time I ever led my home meeting, this big meeting when he was secretary. And I didn't really like get close, close with him, but we texted and what have you. And one day I came in and they're like, he's dead. And I didn't think it was possible (sighs) in this program, you know, and I think he was in other programs and I don't know about what else was going on with him, but he was a really, really wonderful soul and like really working hard. Like I saw his recovery and I mean, he was there two weeks. I did missed a week. And then one week I came in and they're like, let's talk about funeral arrangements. So, I mean, it really does. It is a reminder that it can be still very deadly for some people. And, and, you know, maybe for, yeah. for me, it was deadly and then it caused illnesses and, and all kinds of, it's just, I wouldn't necessarily probably have gotten to kill myself, but, you know, it caused all kinds of ailments and problems that would eventually kill me on some level. So Stress many. is a so killer. Many. So, um, it's a good reminder to get without desperation, feeling like what does desperation feel like now? Right. Like what does desperation feel like to you to now? To, you know, it's not, it's probably not car accidents and hospitals anymore. Right. But there's probably still moments of desperation for you, Catherine. And I'd love to hear your take too, Claire, that there may be different, but I wonder what they are now at this level of recovery. Mm-hmm. Claire, you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'll, I mean, sure. <laughs> I'm happy either way, but, <laughs> um, well, I mean, first I want to say, I love what you said what isn't transmitted or transformed is transmitted yeah and i was literally like my thought that came after was 
because it's a disease. Like, yes, of course, of course. Um, so I love that new phrase. I mean, if there's been a few today, but I, I love, I really, mm, I love that. It's really encouraging. I find a lot of hope in that phrase, actually, because it, it's like, oh, yeah, I can transform these things. I don't want to continue to transmit this disease to other people, you know, um, or have it in my life for that matter. But what's desperation look like today is a great question, Corey. It's so much smaller than it used to be. It's similar to that concept of like, um, you know, you'll have fewer experiences of discomfort and for shorter periods of time, you know, um, or something along that concept, right? Maybe it's anxiety, whatever it is, um, but less of it and for shorter periods of time when it happens. And I think desperation today it's almost hard to, um, identify, you know, I use my sponsors really taught me to use the word and the term and the concept of identification, because that's how we make knowledge-based decisions is through information. And if I can identify something, I have, I can gather information to make a knowledge-based decision. Right. Um, and it's very like educational, which is what this is about as we has, was so beautifully spoken, you know, is, uh, by our guest is like that we're here to learn like we're we're reprogramming we were pro we had a program that was put into our brain and we are now in a new program it's called program like we're, we're, <laughs> the words are just here you know they're here for us um you know desperation today looks like i get hungry and i'm like mad like that, that's what it looks and i'm just, mm. it makes i want to like, I want to cry with joy that somehow I, I've gotten there to that place, that that's what it looks like today. And that, you know, it looks like whatever, 45 minutes ago when I said something really not nice to my partner because I was feeling scared and, um, you know, feeling like I had to defend myself when I didn't, I didn't know how to pause in that moment, you know, um, because I was thirsty, which is like halt, halt it. The other T is, you know, hungry, angry, and thirsty. Yeah, I was really thirsty and also tired. I'm tired. I'm worn out this week, you know, and I, instead of um, using my tools, I, I just picked up an axe because I've got a lot of weapons. Uh, yeah, I've got some really cool weapons and they're really dangerous. <laughs> they're, they're super shotguns. dangerous. Yeah. And sometimes the like, I don't know who unlocks that cabinet, but it's not God, you know, <laughs> like, it's me. It's, it's totally me and my haltness. But um, yeah, that's what desperation looks like today, you know, and I think also like for for me, for like my my personal self-love, desperation can look like really hating myself, really being hard on myself about like not doing the right thing, the quote unquote right thing at work or with whatever, like missing the thing, like, oh, I missed it. I missed out. Like, you know, oh, I, I didn't do that for myself. Mm -hmm. Like I'm fucked now. Like, uh, I'm just like, you know, I'm never going to get to do that thing that I want to do with my life. Those thoughts will come up once in a while, but I can honestly say I'm kind of, I'm kind of absent of feeling desperate at the, at, you know, I, I don't even know if I could call it that anymore. Truly. Um, I don't know if I could. Well, I just love what you shared, uh, Claire and Corey, and 
you know, for me, the gift of desperation, it is much different today. And part of that is, is that it's about working an honest program. And this is where, um, you know, working the first three steps every single day is so helpful. Mm -hmm. And then really what Mm -hmm. I want to hit a grand Mm -hmm. slam with, it's about effectively working step 10. Um, One of the things Mm -hmm. for me, unless I'm completely honest in step one, I remember before we went on to lockdown, my sponsor, um, she goes to a different group, but I go to her group in order we could sit in meetings together and she can hear how I share and one day she came up, she goes, Catherine, you sound fabulous. How are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing okay. She's like, yeah, but you look like shit. <laughs> and I was like, wow. She's like, what's going on with you? You know? And, you know, it goes back to being a competent imposter, a counterfeit human being that I'm, I'm in this lane, like, you know, 15 years in the program, I can't be, you know, when I get in self-deception, Uh, which is, you know, you don't even know you're sick. You don't even know that you're slipping in a way. When I get Mm -hmm. into the place of where I should Mm -hmm. be a place of overflow instead of overwhelm in a meeting, that's when pride and self-deception will start chipping away at me, triggering that depression or those antagonistic thoughts within me. And so we began this episode with, uh, you know, gift of desperation, G-O-D, God, right? But for me, it's grace over despair, another G-O-D, grace over drama. And this is what I really take a look at in step 10, because drama stands for dang resentments asking for more attention. That's what that stands for. And those resentments, or if other people's (laughs) lives, see what happens is if I'm not focused on myself, I focus on this outside world. And when I focus on people, places, and things, I start downloading anger, resentment, and, you know, other people's character defects and taking their inventory. That's what I start bringing into me. But when I keep focus on me and what am I doing my, in my life? And as you said, Claire, am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? And I'd throw an S on there at the end of that. Are you sad, sick, stuck, or stressed? Then for me, in an effective 10th step, I go to Courage to Change on page 354. And there's 18 questions on self-care. It's a self-care audit. How are you doing with this? And if I cannot sufficiently answer that I am taking care of myself automatically, am I focusing on other people's diseases or am I moving forward, focusing on myself, my life and my recovery? And if I can't, so what happens is if I'm start lying to myself, oh yeah, I can read those questions later. If I'm not accountable to me in my 10th step, where do I get imprisoned with my character defects is where, you know, I'm, when I say I'm fine and I'm running from fear and guilt because I know I'm not fine. And that is where my house of cards collapse. And that's when I'm like, Ellen on what sponsor who? So what I do want to say, you guys can see this on camera because we're on camera, but in my courage to change on the inside cover of this book, I've got an Allen on prescription for emergencies. You see all this writing here. And here that's highlighted yeah. when crisis I've always happened. admired your books. So there's there was a crisis. I got a call in the middle of the meeting. Uh, I was in a noon meeting, well, noon here in Dallas. And at 12.15, someone called me and said, I, I hit end because I was in the middle of a meeting. I need my recovery too. I said, can I call you later? And they said, it's an emergency. And I got a call from another mom who said another mom's husband was tragically killed like that. You need to, could you please go find her? And right there, I had the gift of desperation. Mm -hmm. And I said, God, please help me 
keep me harmless only of service and help me to find this person and be the hands and feet of Al-Anon so I can be the soft place to fall. Now, granted, that wasn't in my life, but there's something within me that questions whether I'm spiritually mature enough to be that for somebody else, you know, and it's that stinking thinking that erupts, but with the 10th step with daily application all throughout the day. And you guys know, when you get tired, you guys know, when you're worn out from the end of the day of work, that is when every day I set an alarm on my phone to check in. You could do an everyday calendar alert. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, how are you doing or whatever in the Mm -hmm. 10th step. And I need those kinesthetic reminders because I can put projects and processes ahead of my self-care and suddenly I'm overwhelmed and everybody else pays the price. That's when I'm restless, irritable, and discontent. So I hold myself accountable to self-care and I don't do it perfectly, but what I do do, and I'll shut up with this because I know we're in the of our time, is that I take my inventory and I tell my family. I say, I've had a long day, such and such happened. You know, I am not myself. If you mm-hmm. see me irritated, annoyed, it has nothing to do with you. And it's the greatest gift of love mm-hmm. I can give to my family. Tell them it's me. What I need is a nap and I, I probably need a meal. <laughs> and that mm-hmm. takes care of a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, la- okay, Paul, I need a trip to Hawaii. I want you to file this in your um, memory bank. Just as important as hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, this is just as epic in step 10. Have a laugh today. H-A-L-T. Have a laugh Mm. today. The commitment of having fun and seeing the lighter side of life because loss of enthusiasm wrinkles the soul. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I, you know, I know Corey knows why I love that. Um, cause I'm a joker. I really am a jokester. And just in she that, I laugh in a previous life. I really, we joke about this all the time. I, I think, I think in the previous life I was I like the king this. and she was the jester and we've been, we've been uh, playing this out over and over again. Um, no, I, I love but that. Really only for my own enjoyment. It wasn't of about course, people course, pleasing the king. I was like, haha, you silly king. Um, no, but, but truly the, that's, that's um, amazing. Have a laugh today. Oh, yeah. Me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I wish we could end on a joke, but we didn't prepare a joke, but so we could have a laugh, but I, hopefully you had a laugh in this pod, but we can still, um, end on our reading, which I think yeah, I, I think Claire skewed up is if that's I think okay. It'd be, I mean, I just make suggestions. We have no leaders. That's right. We're trusted servants. <laughs> just a trusted servant. That's a trusted servant. I hope I'm being of service with, with, you know, I think so. I've got, yeah, I've got a, I've got a good little, uh, good little page here that I found. I think it's going to be a delight. Do it. I'm excited. We crossed so, the heck out of that. This is, <laughs> I feel like this really, we're going to have to have you on again, Catherine. You're going to have there's to have more. you on There's again. more to have. There's so much more. It's the just anniversary like, you know what? I do have a laugh. I actually have a very oh, a quick, funny story. Hit it. Uh, and this will make everybody laugh. Um, my husband, when I first started talking, because he's like, you know, my sponsor says, Catherine, you don't have a right to keep your story to yourself. You need to go out. And if anybody asks you, you need to go out and share mm-hmm. it. I said, fine. Mm-hmm. So my husband, mm-hmm. I, he came home one day. Well, he was home and I came back from the story, you know, from sharing my story to group. And I was like, oh, my God, I just, you know, thank you for failure. And I said, he goes, how'd you do? I said, I did fine. 
And then he said, uh, oh, you, you know, you were great. You were great. And I was like, I think I'm okay. And he came back in the room and he said, you know, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have a story. And I stood up and put my hands on my hip and I said, and if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't need one. (laughs) We both just started laughing. So, so that just shows the unity, the trust, the tenderness, the love comes back with laughter. If you're willing to look at yourself and laugh, then everything cools down past kill. Because they always like killing each other mm-hmm. in our house, and now we need we more of that in the so world today, fun. for sure. Yes, we do. We sure do. I have, I have a sponsee that says to me, "If I can laugh about it later, I can laugh about it now." And I really love that. I really love that. I think that's like just really helps bring levity to it. I mean, and and okay, this is the last thing I'll say about laughter, and then I'll, I'll read our reading here, but. um I I'm I am someone who is really bright and bubbly. I always have been like and I and I grew up in a really bright and bubbly home. There's a lot of la- I mean we are hilarious. We have so much fun aside from all the alcoholism that was and is being healed which is wonderful in so many ways, you know, um it truly it's so different now that as as much as this is a family disease, this is also family recovery too. You know, it's not an expectation that I have, but I have seen my family change just because I show up for myself in this way, you know? Um, and there's, mm, that's all I'll say about that. I don't want to give anything away for anybody, but there, but, but um, yes, the laughter in meetings that I found when I came to meetings, I was so grateful it was there because I find so much of life to be just hilarious and my god is really fucking funny they're very very clever and silly and funny and always making jokes for me all day long little treats of jokes for me to giggle about so to hear people in meetings really not afraid of an f-bomb no and no no, my god is not i'm I'm not but i use it differently than i used to i really relate to like not being aware when i used to use curse language before i'm really aware when they come out of my mouth now like it's a different intention it has a different feeling to me Mm. than it did that it once did it used to be really full of hatred and anger but okay anyways laughter yes this Program, this yes, week's reading. episode is sponsored by. It's brought to you by laughter. laughter. You need laughter. Call one eight hundred. Get your meeting, <laughs> and you will find. And you laughter. know that's an indication that you're in a healthy Al-Anon meeting where people are laughing oh, instead yeah. of one Those more horrible nightmare, one more. You know what I mean? Oh yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Okay, and so. <laughs> well, I'm just, okay, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna. You go ahead. You go ahead because we're running out of time. Okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Else. I know. I'm doing it. You know, it's as long as we want it to be, but we let. You know, we try and we try not keep it on the go. People can know. turn it off whenever they want. You yeah, know, done, you can turn it off when just leave now. No if you're done, no the meeting no early. Judgment. We don't mind. <laughs> we all never. We're literally never gonna know. We're le- <laughs> we're never gonna know. Um. So. <laughs> okay. So. This is true that the word desperate or desperation is not in the index of the hope for today. However, I love words, Corey will tell you, and I like to look up what the definitions are. Desperate, the the definition of desperate is feeling 
showing or involving a hopeless hopeless sense that a situation is so bad as to be impossible to deal with. Wow, you know what that reminded me of in program? Lots of things. <clears throat> hope, just in general, there's a lot of talk of hope. So I looked up hope. But there's also other, th- or and there are also involving a hopeless sense that a situation is so bad in our, uh, in closing, you know, there is no situation too difficult to be bettered. There is no, I, uh, I usually know this. Okay. It goes, cause there's two parts of it. There's no situation happiness. too difficult to, to be overcome. No unhappiness too great to be overcome. Thank you. No unhappiness too great to be lessened. No unhappiness too great to be lessened. Yeah. And so that's like the the hopeless, right? Or being desperate, right? But there's not no desperation too great that there is not hope that will not, you know, bring us to to a different place. So okay, so I looked up hope and then uh and here we are. Here we are on page in Hope for today on page two. Wait for it. Wait for it. I lost it, but I found it. July 29th, page 211. Step two. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Filled me with hope that I could live a sane and balanced life. In my family, there was never a sense of balance, just extremes. Poverty and plenty, power and helplessness, violence and uneasy calm. I longed for balance, for a feeling of normalcy that might help me feel safe and connected to others. When I first came to an Al-Anon meeting for adult children, several several people assured me that the hope offered in step two was real. As I listened, I began to see that the miracle of other members being restored to sanity and finding balance in their lives. I heard their stories change in tone from worry to faith, from confusion to clarity. By witnessing these miracles, I came to believe that God could lead me to a saner way of life. I surrendered, asked for help, and relied on my higher power to restore me to sanity. The answer to my plea was to learn how to live the serenity prayer. With help from fellow Al-Anon members, I slowly began to define balanced manageability for myself. God helped me discern the difference between letting go of the things I could not control and changing the things I could. I once thought balance was the privilege of those who had grown up in normal, non-alcoholic families. I thought I was permanently damaged by the chaotic extremes of my childhood now i know it's impossible to be made whole to be rebuilt to be restored to sanity i'm sorry now i know it is possible <laughs> now i know it is possible to be made whole to be rebuilt, minor, to minor restored point. to sanity i always a laughter would have happened in a meeting had that happened in a meeting just saying um thought for the day no matter how much i may have been damaged in childhood step two gives me hope for healing step two offers us an option sanity with this new perspective in mind we truly begin to experience the hope that so many speak of well that has left me with hope as has Catherine share i've learned so much today 
so I'm much going to keep with me. And so you're going to so be glad. throwing up quotes like nobody's business on our Insta. You know what? I've got this was a very quotable, quotable episode. Your uh, your particular reading you just read reminded me of January fifth and hope for today. In this one line, situations don't lose hope; people do. What is lost can often be found, restored, repaired, replaced, or recovered. And that is the promise of this program: oh. if you're willing to do the work, allow yeah. the restoration to take place. Yes, God will come in. <laughs> he does. Look, like like my first sponsor said, surrender and powerlessness. That's the only way that a loving God, a concept of God could come in. And it's just such a gift to be broken. Mm-hmm. And I just got a new book, the One Day at a Time book. Uh, well, for newcomers, because I'm sending out newcomer packets all around the country in meetings I go to. Um, our DAIS, our Allen on Information Services, open. So I bought a whole bunch of new ODATs or in books, a whole bunch of books, you know. And I opened it, and so mine just flop open because they're just so well used, and the, the, the bindings are broken in my books. I opened up the mm-hmm. ODAT, and it mm-hmm. cracked, and I was like, oh, my gosh, the binding hasn't even been broken. And I realized what I said, and I said, what a gift it is to be broken open today. And that is what I seek to do mm-hmm. is just to be intimate, authentic, transparent, and vulnerable to allow anything in my life to help someone else, to save him from the gift of despair, to get them to a place of desperation so that they can do the work. And that's really what this program is about for me. So I'm so grateful that you guys asked. It's a pleasure to meet you, Claire. I haven't met you personally, but I know Corey from meetings and it is an absolute to sit in a meeting with him. So I look forward to getting to know you better in the future. This podcast is produced by Claire and Corey. Original music by Austin Bunn. Original Crosstalk logo by Jonathan Grant. Special thanks to our awesome editor, Joe. And thanks to all of our listeners. Keep coming back. <laughs>